The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to Messages of Hope. As always, I'm very excited to share with all of you today a little bit of a different show, one that everyone can relate to, however, all about the mystical events that occur in our lives that often go ignored or unnoticed. We're going to be talking today with a friend of mine who I met in one of my classes. Her name is Emily Rodovich, and she's going to talk about how we become aware of these spontaneous happenings and how they can change our lives. I want to tell you that I met Emily when I was teaching my mediumship class and uh, just found her delightful. In fact, why don't I bring her in right now and then I'll share about the beautiful synchronicity, the mystical interlude that brought us together. So, Emily, welcome to the show. Well, I'm happy to be here with you again, Suzanne. <laughs> and yes, it was a synchronistic happening. It was indeed. In fact, I never asked you, maybe I know, but how did you find my class? How did you find me in the class? Well, um, I've been an admirer of yours, and so I would um, check in with your website, and I saw the class on your website. So I talked to my friend Nancy, and we signed up as soon as we could. Okay. So I remember being in the hotel room. We were I was teaching the class in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and I'm sitting in my hotel room and something said, "Go to the lobby now." And I went out and there you and your friend Nancy were and and I could tell right away by the way you looked up at me. I said, "Those two are in my class." And we got to talking and I just loved your energy. And in the class the next day, I believe that's when you gave me a copy of your book. Isn't that right? I actually it was on Sunday afternoon. It was the last day of class. Okay. Okay, right. So I'm not sure about that because I know I stayed up late reading it and I wanted I really should have gotten to bed because I thought I was That's teaching. Right. But yeah. And you so, stayed overnight on Monday night. Yeah. So well, Emily's I mean, book. On Sunday night, yeah. Her book is called Mystical Interludes, An Ordinary Person's Extraordinary Experiences. It's actually her first book. 
and there's now Mystical Interludes 2. But I had taken along to, for the weekend, personal reading of my own. And when she gave me that book, people are often giving me books that they've written. And again, that inner voice said, start reading the book. So I, I got in bed after class and I started reading and I couldn't put it down. Emily is a former high school English teacher, so clearly knows how to write well, but it was so much more than that. Her joy, her 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 understanding of how of who we are and how this all works. Emily, it just came through in your book and uh, you want to tell them what happened the next morning? <laughs> well, the big uh, part of synchronicity for Nancy and me is the fact that we came with the intention of leaving right after your class on Sunday. But it was raining, and we received a little notice under our door that for a price we couldn't refuse, we could stay an extra night. And that would include breakfast the next morning. And we said, hey, <laughs> let's stay. Well, we thought that you and all the people in the class were gone. And we didn't expect to see a soul. So on Monday, <laughs> that's the first thing. We had no intention of being there on Monday. Monday morning, we walk into the restaurant with our, <laughs> our little free meal voucher. And who is sitting there but Suzanne Geisman? And we, <laughs> we were thrilled when we saw you. But what happened next was the big surprise because you looked up with this big grin on your face and you said, I knew you would come. <laughs> and you <laughs> asked us to join you. <laughs> And then I remember sitting there and discussing your book and all the magical things. And what was really funny was the other book that I had brought along for personal reading, you brought that book up at the breakfast table about how fascinating it was and what you'd been reading. So the connections um, right off the bat were there. So let's let's talk about mystical interludes for everybody's sake. What are they and why do you use that term? Okay. Well, the reason I use the term is this. When I was 18, Suzanne, I had a near-death experience. But I was living in the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in the days when um, you didn't talk about such things. I, as a matter of fact, you could even be put in an insane asylum for, <laughs> for discussing these things. Um, so I kept it to myself, and I didn't. I t wanted to tell my mother about it. I had no language. When uh, Dr. Moody came out in 1975 and coined the term near-death experience, I was ecstatic. So realizing a need for language, I want people to talk about these things, so I have coined the term mystical interlude. Now, but it, it's my, far more than a near-death experience, though. It is. Uh, in, in my vernacular, that term covers everything from a coincidence, synchronicity, clairvoyance, lucid dreams, visions, hearing a voice, out-of-body experience, near-death experience. It covers the whole gamut. So if someone says, I had a mystical interlude, that that opens, that classifies it. And then they can hone in and talk about the specifics of it. Now, um, 
a mystical interlude to define it, I define it as a spontaneous, unexplainable experience um, through which you discover a knowing which changes you or your circumstances. And that can, just, that can apply to just about all of these. And when um, you say a knowing, a knowing of what? A knowing, first of all, the knowing becomes very clear the more you, you experience these things. But let's say for the very first time, um, you recognize something in a coincidence. Well, you don't understand it, but within you, you know that something (laughs) intervened, something happened there, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, So it can be as as slight as that. Um, Let's go to a near-death experience. People return from near-death experiences knowing that there is no death. That um, and there is nobody waiting at the gate to judge you, and uh, so a knowing comes depending on the experience. So I say that mystical interludes have um, three basic defining traits, and they are timing, discovery, and change. Um, excuse me, timing is, um, most mystical interludes, Suzanne, are um, spontaneous. Okay. Uh, You don't plan them, (laughs) just like our meeting that morning. Right. Uh, We certainly didn't plan any of that. You didn't plan to read my book that night. Um, They are spontaneous, um, for one thing. Throughout a mystical interlude, you, you discover something. And, uh, and it can be very, very slight or it can be quite major. And the other, uh, and this, uh, again, is a matter of degree, the other trait is change. Um, you, something changes. Maybe it's your perception. Maybe it's your circumstance. Maybe it's both. But... Um, this is how I define what a mystical interlude is. And I love that you you have this blanket term for that because you're right. This covers the whole gamut of what I call just wondrous, awesome experiences. Uh, I call them also no other explanation experiences than that we are all part of a greater reality, one big web that crosses realities. And the the synchronistic event when we ended up meeting in the dining room and it led to the book and many other synchronicities, I call those God winks. But that's, yeah, that's just one little thing. But then near-death experiences would be at the far end of that as one of the really big events that is far more than just a synchronicity. Yet your, I love your definition here that that comes without planning. There's discovery involved and change. Wow. So Um, one, go ahead. I was just going to say what you said something uh, a second ago that triggered this. Um, one of the reasons that I came up with the term was when I was trying to decide what to call this 
uh, memoir of 10 different personal uh, extraordinary events, I kept asking, I, I kept wondering, what can I call this? And during the shower one day, the words mystical interlude dropped into my mind. Mm. And I looked them up, and mystical means something which produces a sense of awe. Yeah. Interlude means an intervention of time or space. Perfect. And this is like my work as a medium every day. If uh, when I do a reading, it's that's a mystical interlude because we're we're showing people that there we do have this greater connection, and it always generates a feeling of awe. So I love that. I love that it came to you in the shower. I have a lot of people who, who I talk with who tell me that they have some of their greatest insights when they're in water or water's rushing over their body for some reason. It's pretty cool. <laughs> now, so you mentioned that, that Mystical Interludes is 10 different personal events. So that's in your life that that convinced right. you that uh, there is something more. But, but now you just, I think... Just last month, your latest book came out, and that's Mystical Interludes 2. Tell us how that one changes. Well, um, the first book, um, I had no intention of writing a book. And I was a babe in the woods, and I just plodded along. But when I went to publish it, um, all of a sudden, everything fell into place. Uh, the title came when I needed a, an editor and a publisher, showed up, and then I got this nudge at the end of the book that I needed to do more. And I kept thinking, what more do I need to do? I, I didn't understand. And the next thing I knew, I was writing an invitation at the end of that book in, with, with a um, prediction that everybody has mystical interludes. If they're in all our lives, whether we recognize it or not, they happen. So I invite the readers to, if they don't have enough to write a book, as I did, to send their experiences, and I would publish them in my next book. So that is how um, Mystical Interludes uh, came along. Uh, Mystical Interludes 2 came along. And I just, I'm so thrilled with the book, Suzanne, because it you should be there. Thank you. It verifies exactly what I said. The stories came, came rolling in and I just, it was, I have an amen. <laughs> feeling yeah. about it. Yes. Yeah, and I love it because I love these kind of stories. I know that all of us do. And and listening to you talk, Emily, I can just feel everybody listening now saying, well, that's happened to me. Well, let me tell you my story. This is what happens when I speak at events. People come up and they, they so want to share these magical moments. And the fact is that they're not magic at all. This is This is reality. And we just, we want to tell the world. So you've given people a way to do that. And your book reminds me so much of those books I used to uh, love picking up the guidepost stories with all the, the stories of people who felt that they had touched God and, and right. in the chicken soup for the soul type series, they're uplifting and all of your stories in this new mystical interludes too do that. These are ordinary people having extraordinary experiences. Right. And, and the thing about the story, Suzanne, none of them are sanitized. Uh, you hear 
the voices of the writers in every story. So they are the authors. I have done very little uh, with their stories. And that's one of the things that I love about uh, the book. But one of the things, something else that I would like to touch upon before I get into uh, maybe sharing some of the stories with you is um, why I believe that these uh, mystical interludes and realizing them is important. Okay. And that is because um, I have this in my first book, um, the words from a, a Methodist minister. He said to me, Emily, until you have had a personal experience with God, you don't really believe in God. You only believe in the idea of God. And you can substitute, you know, for God, um, uh, you can substitute source or spirit or higher power or creator, whatever whatever um, your inclination is uh, mm-hmm. there. But I have found that to be so true. And the reason I believe that mystical interludes are so important is because they are experiences. And experiences yeah. are usually quite real. You cannot deny that you had that experience. Now, how you interpret it, um, what it means to you, is perhaps your personal choice. Um, I have a, I have an example of that that I can give you. Um, sure. Let me just remind everybody, anybody who came into the show late, we're talking with author Emily Rodovich, and you can find out more about from her website, emilyrodovich.com, and that's E-M-I-L-Y-R-O-D-A-V-I-C-H.com, or just like her two book titles, mysticalinterludes.com. So please share that story. Okay, this is from my first book, and this shows you two sides. I just said to you, um, when things happen, some people they have that knowing and they have, they recognize the the timing and the discovery and so on. And then another person might be totally oblivious. So this is a story from my first book, Suzanne, I think that shows that. In 2007, my mother passed away and I know yours did recently. And uh, it doesn't matter where you are, you still experience that grief. And, uh, and I know you, Uh, probably are still going through that. Um, But she passed in April, and this was in about July, and I was just in the the clutches of grief. Um, I was having, it was so bad that I couldn't cry. Hmm. And then on this particular day, I got news that uh, one of my dear friends, who was the godmother to my firstborn, passed and uh, she was living in North Carolina when she when she passed and my grief intensified so I went out to our deck and it faces uh, trees and bird feeders and so on and I just sat down in a chair and I thought I'm just going to allow myself to feel as bad as I feel and Mm -hmm. I wanted so badly to cry but I couldn't I put my face in my hands 
And finally, I raised, I raised my head and I looked out, and there on a three-columned bird feeder on the bottom left rung sat an indigo bird. Now, I have never, ever seen an indigo bird except probably um, in an aviary. And here we are in Pennsylvania, and I look out and I see this bird. Well, the significance of that was that indigo blue was my mother's signature color. Mm -hmm. She had white hair, and she always wore indigo. In fact, she was buried in an indigo blue suit. Hmm. So soon as I saw that, I, because of my experience, I recognized that this sudden appearance of this indigo blue bird, my mother's signature color, I'd never seen it before, and there it's sitting and it hasn't eaten a thing. And the timing so, of it with you just really in grief and thinking about her at that moment, yeah. Exactly. Thank you. And 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 my sense and I knew I had this sense of knowing. So my beloved Jim comes out onto the deck, and I I look and I'm so joyful. I start to cry because uh-huh. I am I feel better. And so Jim, I said, look at this bird, and he goes, isn't that interesting? Well. <laughs> He was, he was interested in the species. He went and looked it up and found out the name of the bird is the indigo bunting. Okay. Oh, cool. So yeah. I get in my car the next day. I drive by myself to North Carolina and attend the service. I get back from North Carolina, and all I can think of, and I asked him before I left, please keep your eye out for the bird because it, it left after a while. So I come back from North Carolina exhausted and as soon as I came in I I asked Jim if the bunting had returned and he said no it hadn't he was sorry he said why don't you go on out to the deck and uh, I'll bring us out a glass of wine and so I said that was great so I go out to the deck and I'm busy arranging the table and the chairs and I sat down just plopped down looked up and there sits the indigo bunting Again. Well, of course it did. comes <laughs> <laughs> out, and I said, "Look at that!" And again, I was—it picked me right up. And of course, he was—he just said, "Oh, that's that's interesting, very curious." Well, meanwhile, I shared this story with my daughter, and she, uh, you know, she said, "Oh, mom, how I would love for for grandma to get in touch with me to give me a sign," and. Um, then I talked to her a week later. She said, I've been looking everywhere for an indigo bunting, and I haven't seen one. Well, as it turns out, her friend Veronica's father died. Now, here we go, Suzanne. Veronica was my mother's first name. Uh-huh. So my daughter is helping Veronica clean out the house in order to put it up on the market. And um, so she was in the father's bedroom and she was getting clothes out of the closet so she had a big bundle of clothes in her arm and she's walking out and she lost her balance and she stumbled and she bumped into the wall and when she looked 
turned her head and looked at the wall. She was looking at the image of an indigo <laughs> bunting. Oh, I love it. Anybody else have goosebumps? Yeah, I love the, the stumbling just at that moment. Now, you know, skeptics and people that just have perhaps hardened their emotions a bit might say, right. oh, that's just a coincidence, but we know better. Well, that was that's what Jim would have said. <laughs> <laughs> but, but and this is the, the this is where the story gets even better because she called me and shared that with me. And she had, and she said to me, I know what you mean, mom. I had that knowing it was spontaneous and so on. So we had a a good time talking about that. Now let's fast forward to Labor Day. In between these things, and we live on our deck in the summertime, there was no no other sighting of an indigo bunting. Here it is, Labor Day comes. Now, here, picture, you have me uh, who receives these things and lights up from them, and then you have Jim who is completely on the other side. Right. The the whole family is on the deck, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Kara looks at me, and she asked me if I'd seen any more of the indigo buntings, and I said, no, we haven't. So a couple of the people there didn't know what we were talking about. They asked about it. We told the story. And I was just finishing up. Kara is standing in front of me and she's looking out toward the trees and the bird feeder and her jaw drops (laughs) and she goes, oh mom, turn around and look. And there sat the indigo bunting on the third rung, I mean the first rung of the third column same place just sat there way to go mom (laughs) way to go mom and I ran into the house grabbed a camera and snapped a picture and that is the the indigo bird on the cover of my uh, book I'm looking at it now that's wow what an unusual bird now that makes sense to me yeah it's very from the photograph And, you know, I want to comment just so that all of you listening understand that her daughter, she asked that question, you know, Mom, have you seen the bird lately? Now, why did she ask that at that exact moment? It's because our thoughts are not all our own. And clearly, her grandmother knew that she was going to guide that bird into their sight in just a minute. And can't you just see her in the background rubbing her hands together saying, this is going to be good. We just wait till they see this bird. <laughs> now we're going to go for a break here in just a few seconds, but I just want to invite you all to come back with us for the second half of the show. We're talking with author Emily Rodovich about her wonderful two books, Mystical Interludes and Mystical Interludes 2. The first, her own wonderful stories and the second a collection of other people's magical moments of showing that there is we are part of something so much more so we're going to come back and hear more wonderful stories from emily that just lift our hearts so we will just see you in a few moments discover the power within unity online radio the voice of an awakening world. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer or call 816-969-2000. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment. Unity founder Charles Fillmore is quoted as saying, Here is a mental treatment guaranteed to cure every ill. Sit for half an hour every night and mentally forgive everyone against whom you have any ill will. The act of forgiveness is powerful medicine. Is there someone in your life that you can work on forgiving? Try this exercise tonight. To forgive is to set yourself free. Find out more about Unity at unity.org. Would you like to experience more peace and joy in your life through A Course in Miracles? Let Reverend Jennifer Hadley support you in discovering the powerful life lessons available through this unique spiritual thought system that teaches the way to love and peace is through forgiveness. Join Jennifer every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for A Course in Miracles, living the love, walking the talk, to experience the healing for yourself on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Welcome back. I hope you're enjoying this show as much as I am with guest Emily Rodovich talking about mystical interludes, the magical moments that show us we are connected to something so much more. Please run out and get her books, both of them, uh, Mystical Interludes and Mystical Interludes 2. You can find that at her website mysticalinterludes.com. Pretty easy to remember. Now, Emily, just before the break, you were telling this wonderful story about this 
indigo bunting bird that made it very clear to you your mother was trying to connect with you and communicate with you. And did that change anything for your husband? Well, it changed a lot for me. It picked me up beautifully. But um, Jim, of course, the first two times, he was rather blasé. Oh, you know, that's nice, a nice little coincidence. Mm-hmm. Well, the third time, he was with the family. He was with us on the deck. And when the bunting appeared the third time, I looked over and I saw his face. And I said, <laughs> I said, it, do, you, do you still believe this is still such a mere coincidence? And he laughed. And I said, now go figure. I said, it's the timing that makes the difference. Yeah. And he shook his head and he said, I think I'm starting to get it. <laughs> Yay. So, yes. Yes. So yeah. the more you the more you are exposed to these, the more you you recognize them. And that's the so. beauty of your book. I mean, this one story after another, and I love books like this, Mystical Interludes too, because it's perfect reading for bedtime rather than watching the depressing news and going to or watching some shoot 'em up, bang 'em up movie right before you close your eyes. You can just pick this up and read one story a night and go to go to sleep with this uplifting, awe filled filled thought in your mind. It's great. Thank you, Suzanne. And speaking about uplifting, Emily, you're, you know, so many people will hear you and you're such a positive person. You can feel your beautiful energy. And I met you in person and I thought I knew that right away. I could feel it. So it's funny that in your first book that deals mostly with your story, you say, you start right off by saying, I'm not a Pollyanna. And I just love that. And your story (laughs) is not all happy, was it, your life? No, no. Not at all. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, I had some, um, I went through some dark nights in my life. But uh, to me, it's, it's a crisis that inspires evolution. Um, we learn through our struggles. Um, and we, we grow through them. And, um, you know, a near-death experience, when I had my near-death experience, I was, I was dying, I think. And um, I write about it in the book. I don't want to go into it here. Well, why don't but, you? Because, again, this is, it's a mystical interlude. If you just want to just give us the abbreviated version so we can share a lot of stories here. Okay. Uh, uh, I, had, I was 18 years old, and I had um, a uh, – and I had a weird – um, reaction to an allergy shot and I was cold instead of warm and so on but at any rate my body started to swell and I was four or five or even six times larger than my normal body Ow. I was so swollen Suzanne that my skin split my skin in my everywhere was just it couldn't handle the swelling Mm -hmm. and um, uh, I could hardly breathe my I couldn't see my everything was swollen and I would go out I would I would go unconscious and um, the doctor came he couldn't do a thing for me and the last words I heard before my NDE 
the doctor was at my side and he, with my mother, and he said, Veronica, all we can do is pray. I can't do a thing. I can't move her. I can't give her a shot. She can't take a pill. There's nothing. And um, that was the last thing I remembered. And the next thing I knew, I was on a train in space, in dark space. But I was on this train with other people whom I could see. I was seeing their backs. And they, were, they didn't move. And they were older men and women. And they, the women had dark dresses and hats with dark veils. And I felt great. And I wasn't frightened. And the next thing I knew, a conductor um, came down. And I started to ask him questions. And I asked him if these people were dead. Now, what's significant here? Suzanne, is Mm -hmm. the fact that at that time in my life, I was so terrified of death because I had been traumatized as a child um, with our dear neighbor dying. And um, uh, I went to visit her and I thought she was there and her daughter took me to the casket instead of (laughs) the mother, uh, the living mother. And it was devastating. Mm -hmm. At any rate. I had a terrifying fear of death. And so I asked the conductor, I said, could these people be dead? Where are we going? And he said, you'll see. And um, the train came to a stop. And he told me that he would come back and get me, that these folks were getting off the train. <clears throat> he would come and get me. So I, they, start, they went up to the, the door opened, and I could see them go going up the aisle, he came back and took my hand. And Suzanne, as we followed them, I saw maybe three or four people in front of me when that door opened. The light outside that door was just indescribable. Every near-death experiencer tries to define or describe the light. And it's more than light. It's music. It's it's color, it's, mm. it's alive, it's everything. And I watched these people step off the train and completely merge in that light. Mm. And beyond the light, I could see outlines of little buildings. And they looked like the little, the biblical buildings that you see in, in children's books, the little rounded domes and so on. Mm-hmm. So that, in that, just in that vision, as I saw that, I knew, and here comes the knowing, I knew that these people were alive and that they were merging and becoming a part of the oneness of the light. But because there were houses, that indicated to me that these folks still kept their own identity in some way. Oh, I love that. And I knew all of that at one time, at once, and I wanted so badly to follow them, but the conductor said, no, you may not leave, Emily, but I took (laughs) one more peek, and I looked around the door, and on one of these small buildings, Suzanne, I saw this gigantic angel, and I, I, I sensed that he was, he, it was a he, it was a male. And I was so surprised. I said to the conductor, oh, my gosh, um, 
I didn't know that there were male angels. I thought <laughs> all, all angels were female, and that's because I had the picture of a female angel that hung above my crib and above my bed uh, most of my life. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. And I came back so filled with joy that, uh, and I couldn't express it. I couldn't speak. Uh, the swelling had gone down considerably, but I was still in, in pretty bad shape. I couldn't talk. And tears were coming rolling out of my eyes, and my poor mother was there. She was swabbing me with, with uh, cloth, trying to um, unstick me from the sheets because mm. where my skin had split, there was a clear liquid oozing. And oh, oh. Everything was <laughs> anyway, and she thought I was in pain and poor thing, and she's looking at me, and I wanted to say, wait, no, no. <laughs> I can't wait. to. This is so wonderful. <laughs> wow. Wow. Do you so credit that, that with your, do you credit that with your, your, the beautiful light that you radiate now, or have you always been this way? I, I think that I, I really, well, I was this way a big part of my life, but I really think that that near death experience really uh, tuned me up. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So you're a woman on a mission now. We're talking with Emily Rodovich. Her book is Mystical Interludes and Mystical Interludes 2, two different books. And what would you say is your mission? Well, my mission is to get everybody to start noticing and start paying attention to those experiences which are indeed mystical interludes. Um As I said earlier, you know, until you've had that personal experience and recognize it as a personal experience, um, you only believe in the idea. Um, And there's a difference. um, You know, you can have one of these experiences and not recognize it. And let me give you an an example of that. Okay, great. Um, As a result of... Speaking about my first book, Suzanne, I, everybody wanted to hang hang out and tell me about their experiences after a speaking in de- event. That led to my forming the Mystical Interludes discussion group. Mm-hmm. We now have 40 members. We started with about six. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, one of the early meetings. Here is an example. This. Let me say her name was Mary. Mary came to the meeting, and I would always ask, has anyone had any mystical interludes? And she said, I did, and I never would have known until I read your book and came to this meeting. Oh, cool. She said, <coughs> she said I, excuse me, I have a little bit of a cough here. Um, she said that she had been at the gym, was leaving the gym and in conversation with this lovely Muslim uh, lady whom she had met there. They stood in the lobby and they were chat- finishing up their conversation. The door opened and Mary's friend Pat entered. And Pat, as soon as Pat saw Mary and her, her friend, uh, her acquaintance, Pat said, oh, hello. And she just lit up 
and Mary introduced her to the Muslim lady, and they chatted for a minute, and the Muslim lady left. And Pat uh, looked at Mary, and she said, I can't believe this. Mary said, what? Pat said, I was at Bible study last night, and our priest was talking about the bad rap that Muslim Americans are getting. And he asked each one of us to go out and become acquainted with a Muslim and reach out and let them know that they are accepted as Americans and that we consider them citizens. She said, on my way home from church, I said to myself, oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know any Muslims. Where in the world will I ever meet a Muslim? And here she walked in, and Mary was standing there and introduced her. And Mary said, you know, I never would have recognized that. Uh, but when, when we parted, I thought of mystical interlude. <laughs> and it's, this is the beauty of recognizing this. There's always that moment when it, when it makes you literally stop in your tracks and go, huh, or some other word, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I asked, I said, well, then how, and the, the next, the next step is realizing it. And when I say that, I mean, recognizing that it is real. Uh, Mary said that um, after uh, Pat left and she started to walk away and think about this. And she said, I thought that was a mystical interlude. And what she realized was that somehow she was instrumental in in connecting these two people. And she didn't make it happen. There's something else, something else was in control. And it was was loving and it was kind. That's the thing. Um, It makes me goosebumps. This is just the proof of this one big web of which we're all a part and we're all instruments. We are all that. And it just shows us how we're all just playing, interweaving with each other. Exactly. And why I feel that it's so important is because of once you start to, the more you recognize mystical interludes, the more they appear in your life. That I know because of my group. And our, um, we're, st- we're keeping journals, and the journal yeah. just keeps growing. Well, the other thing is that... Oh, could I interrupt you just a second? I, I want to sure. tell you, Emily, that, that I actually have a file on my computer because I, I would lose notebooks, and it's called Awesome Spiritual Experiences, but it's, that's what they are, is mystical interludes. Right. So all of you listening, do what Emily's saying. Keep a journal or start a file on your computer because they add up, and they add to the wonder and joy in your life and do cause you to see them more often. So, and, please, Suzanne... Yeah. Mm-hmm. After they follow that wonderful advice of yours, they can submit them at <laughs> my website <laughs> for my next book. <laughs> wow! Yeah, which would be mysticalinterludes.com, right? Oh, exactly. there's there's no doubt you're going to have a three and a four and a five because there's no end to these, and we not only love to share our stories, but we love to read other people's stories. Now. Emily, in your book, in Mystical Interludes 2, you, you show the ways in which your mystical interludes have enabled you to live your life fearlessly. 
with joyful gratitude. I love that term, you know, fearlessly. Uh, I want to read for the listeners the other things in this one paragraph that the mystical interludes, the benefits that they've given you. They, you say that they have given you a deep faith in our creator, taught yeah, you taught you forgiveness, demonstrated that love is eternal, eradicated your fear of death, expanded your consciousness. I mean, whoa. And and it all happens, what, just by keeping your eyes open? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And you know that. It, I know. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows that better than you, Suzanne. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, do you have a favorite story? We have about eight minutes left in the show, so pick one that's just going to show us again more of them. You know, it's funny. I want to tell you all that uh, Emily honored me by asking me to write the foreword to Mystical <gasps> Interludes too. And I uh, I was rereading it the other day, and I turned to Ty, and I said, I don't know who wrote those words through me because it's just like – whoa, I didn't write that, <laughs> you know, so that was probably a mystical interlude because it, it just came out very nicely. But it's funny, I wrote in here, and I want to make this point clear, magical moments don't lose their wonder, but they're no longer magical in the sense of being some kind of deceptive illusion. The illusion is that this world is the only reality. So when I use the word, these are magical stories, please don't think that it's something not real. This is the point. They show us what's really real. Indeed. So share a magical, mystical interlude with us, Emily, now that I took one minute of your time. (laughs) Well, I just do want to tell you how grateful I am for that eloquent forward, and it truly is. Well, please don't waste our time with that. Just give us a story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This comes from uh, my dear friend, Nancy, who accompanies me to your um, class. Another beautiful Um, one. And she, yes, absolutely. She, um, She considers this transformative because through this, she lost her fear of death. And she had a few different kinds of mystical interludes here. It first happened in 2004. Nancy was then the uh, uh, principal of a middle school, and she was in her car, and suddenly the smell of Copenhagen uh, tobaccoless, uh, or smokeless tobacco, <laughs> wish it were tobaccoless. Anyway, yeah. it filled her car, and she immediately associated that with her father because her dad always chewed Copenhagen, and she and her brothers and sisters always had to clean out the spittoon. Oh, well, my. this went on this, every now and then, intermittently, this would go on. This uh, aroma of Copenhagen would show up in her office at school, at a staff meeting. It just went on throughout 2004. Then 2005, Nancy's life changed dramatically. Her happy marriage came to a devastating, uh, a, a, a terrible end. Um, she found herself utterly alone. Uh, she shell-shocked, these are her words, and broken. She entered that dark night of the soul that I mentioned earlier. Now, she, the, the smell of Copenhagen did not return, but something else started in her life. She found herself alone in her house. Her, her children were gone. 
and she started, uh, she was sleeping alone for the first time, and she felt a presence, a small female presence beside her. Well, she welcomed it. She was not fearful, but it would vanish, and it would return and vanish. And the next thing you know, she, again, no fear, she felt something like a cat pouncing on her bed. And half awake, half asleep, and she'd think, well, maybe it's a dog or something. But then this kept occurring. And then the cat uh, pouncing on the bed, it felt like the cat was walking on the bed. And so this continues. And I I, I love this. If I could just interrupt you, many people might freak out at that. And it's when we learn not to be scared, but to be curious and to know that we're always protected as the light from these things, that we can look at this with new eyes and say, could this be a visit? So please continue. Exactly. So this kept going on until one, and she moved, this continued even after she moved into another house, but it came to a halt one night when she was in bed, and suddenly she felt these hands. It was kind of like tucking the blankets in around her very firmly, and Nancy couldn't move her arms. And so for the first time, she was frightened, and she said, please leave. Uh, yeah, I, I think I might have done that at that moment too, and that and that is exactly how to handle something like that. You just firmly say, please leave. Great. And you're so right, because the moment she did, Suzanne, it stopped. Well, now here's the third part. After all of this, um, she was coming out of her dark night, and she was visiting a former colleague of hers who had lost his wife to cancer. She pulled into his driveway, and the sweet aroma of freshly baked bread just filled the car. And here again, she associated this with her dad because on days when it was too cold for him to work, he would stay at home and bake bread for his children. And they would come in at lunchtime and they would smell that warm bread, slather it with butter, and it was heaven. And all of that came back as she sat there and she was so uplifted. So these were the mystical experiences she had, but here is the aftermath. And this is why Nancy chose to write about this in Mystical 2. She and her friend Garrett, uh, whom she was visiting, fell in love, and they are now married. And Nancy believes, yes, Nancy (laughs) believes that the aroma of the freshly baked bread uh, was a sign from her father reassuring no her that love and happiness were returning. She thinks that the Copenhagen was a heads up um, prior to her marital breakup, was a heads up that it's, you know, there are some dark, ugly, unpleasant things ahead. And then after she and Garrett were married, she visited a medium. And her grandmother came through, and her grandmother told her that um, she had been with her during that dark time, and she said, told Nancy that she was as startled as Nancy had been uh, on that last visit because she didn't realize that Nancy could actually feel her her tucking her in. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Oh, I want to tell you all really quickly that uh, I was doing a reading and one day and my nose was completely stuffed up from a cold, yet I smelled this old moldy trunk that the client recognized. And that's what showed me that these scents, they're absolutely coming from the spirit world and we're not actually smelling them with our nose. It's with our spiritual side, with our soul, which was just really cool. So I love that story. Emily Rodovich is our guest. She's sharing with us Mystical Interludes, that latest one from her new book, Mystical Interludes 2, which you can find through her website, emilyrodovich.com or mysticalinterludes.com. We have just under a minute left, Emily. And would you, what would you say about Mystical Interludes, about expanding our world in just a few, or your heart, in just a few seconds? How can you wrap this up? Well, once you start to recognize these, Suzanne, you become you become more spiritual. I, I, you become more loving. Uh, for one thing, you don't have as much. You don't have the kind of stress that you had before because you become aware that there is help. You have help around you. That's it. And you have love around you at all. That's it. We are so loved. And I loved having you on the show, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us. Everybody run out and get her book and you will be uplifted beyond belief. Thank you again, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.